0: Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? Yay. Amen. So good to see you all today. Would you remain standing as we go to the book of Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Give me some time to go there. As we continue the second part of our hell series, in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, Jesus said, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you, and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. That's his uh, sermon. What a sermon, right? Right? I want to go to verse 13. Because I want you to picture this. As thousands of people crowded around Jesus to hear him preach this sermon. Jesus was talking about hell. But in verse 13. The Bible says then someone called from the crowd. Teacher. Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied Friend. Who made me judge over you to decide such a thing as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told him this story. He said, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What shall I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Pray that you would help me to speak your truth today to those who are here, those that are listening online. And help us, Lord, to really grab this message of what life should be measured by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat where you're at. As we get ready for part two of our hell series, I started reading this passage of Scripture, and what blew my mind away was that as I'm studying subjects like life and hell and, and death and everything for the past two months, I believe, just this week, this interesting video... ...was given to me by email. And it really began to race through my mind... ...and and really get me to question a lot of things about us. And in this video, I'm going to show you this video... ...but I want to explain to you what happened. See, I started reading about this... ...this weird phenomenon that was happening in Japan. In Japan, deep in the sea... ...divers began to notice this amazing design... And this design was found in the ocean floor. But when they quickly went to investigate it, a few days after, it would be gone. And then a few days later, the same design would show up. This is a true story. So all these designs kept popping up in in the sea, on the floor. So finally, in 1995, this phenomenon occurred so many times that scientists were so baffled that they really wanted to figure out what was going on. So they set up this camera, and they sent divers to go and really check what it's making, these great and beautiful designs. And that's when this amazing new species was discovered, and it was a pufferfish. Now, this pufferfish that you see here Is the most insignificant but cutest fish you've ever seen. But see, this puffer fish, he spends his life just digging through the sands and collecting shells. And what he's really doing is working hard. See, as they studied this puffer fish, this puffer fish literally worked 24 hours a day for an entire week, creating these beautiful designs. And his whole purpose was simply to impress other fish. His whole purpose for working and collecting and gathering and effortlessly working 24 hours was to get a girlfriend. And for a whole week, this little tiny fish would work and work and work and create this beautiful design. But then when the tides would change, everything was blown away, gone just like that. And it shows you that as I read this article and saw this video, they said, this fish is amazing. It creates these beautiful works of art. But when I thought to myself and I really saw this video, I said, this has to be the dumbest fish I've ever seen. This is the most foolish fish I have ever seen. Because imagine this, this fish, his entire life's purpose is to work and work and work. Does that sound like you? And all this fish is trying to do is work endlessly for the goal of looking impressive. Impressive. To impress another fish and hope that that fish notices him. And it's truly sad and foolish because a week later when the tides change, it's all gone. It vanishes. What a picture of what life looks like. We live in this society that wants to work and work and work. And we want to build this legacy. We want to build this, this resume. We want to build this life. We want to impress other people. We want to post pictures and brag about what we've done and what we've accomplished and what we own and what we wear and what we've done and where we've traveled and everything we've accomplished and everything we've done and everything and everything and everything. And, everything. and don't you know that there is going to come a point that may maybe. Maybe you've worked hard. Maybe you've done great things in life. Maybe you've probably maybe impressed a few people, but wouldn't you know that your life one day is going to end? Everything you've done will vanish and it will come to nothing. You see, I don't think this fish is amazing. I think he's foolish. And it's sad to say that today people are that foolish as well. Jesus was telling this story about this man like this puffer fish. This man worked so hard. This man, his investment finally paid off because he hit the mother load in that culture. When your crops produce a great harvest, it was like payday. And this man had such an abundance of crops He was so wealthy, he had a real big problem. He said, what am I going to do with all my money? Don't you hate when that happens? What am I going to do with all my stuff? And this man built this life. He was so impressive, not knowing that his life would come to an end that very night. Not knowing that Jesus said it would all vanish And come to nothing. Imagine this man, because to put it in a way you can understand, if this man were alive today, he'd be on the cover of Forbes magazine. This man would be conducting interviews on Fox Business, telling people how to invest and what the stock market's going to do. This man lived, if you would Google his name, you would see all the cars he drove, you would see the vacations he's taken, the property he has, everything he owns. When you looked at this man, you would say, man, this guy is impressive. He has it all. What a life to be envied. But he didn't know. Was that life, as Jesus said, it's not about what you own. In verse 21, Jesus said, this man does not have a rich relationship with God. A rich re- he's rich, but he's not rich towards God. In other words, when Jesus said this man was not rich towards God, understand what that term meant. It meant that when you're rich towards something, or God, it means that you find value and worth in God. You find value and worth in the things of God. Your greatest value in life is your relationship with God, because that's the only thing you take with you when you die. Your greatest asset is your relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else. Your relationship with God will never compare to the house you own, the car that you own, the clothes that you own, the things that you own. Nothing in this world will ever compare to having a rich relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was teaching here. When you're rich towards something, it means this is where I find my value. This is where I find my worth. And some people were rich towards our jobs. Your job is what makes you feel important. Your job was what gives you a sense of accomplishment. Your career is what makes you feel like you're something. But all it takes is one layoff or one little virus to lose your job and realize it meant nothing. For some parents, their worth is in their children. It's all they're living for and raising that child and giving everything to that child. But don't you realize that in the end, it means nothing. We put so much worth and value in the things that we own and the cars that we drive and the places that we visit and the degrees we have in our wall. And when you have your worth and value towards that, that's what you're rich towards. So what Jesus said is that this man was not rich towards God. His value was not in his relationship with God. His value was all about what he owned, what he possessed, what he's accomplished and his career. So when this Jesus said, he's not rich towards God, it meant that his life was not about God at all. His life was not about a relationship with Jesus. His life was all about himself. His pleasure. He had no time for God in his life. He was too busy for God. He had too much going on in his life for God. It was all about him, not about God. If they invited him to church, he said, no, I can't. I got to work. If they say, hey, why don't you come to this Bible? He said, no, that's, I'm not into that. I got too much going on in my life right now. This man literally told God, I have no value in getting to know you. I have no value in having a relationship with you. And sadly, that's how so many of us live in our world today. We have no value towards God anymore. And other things take His place, and other priorities, and other things just take this control over us. It's sad because I thought about this while I was getting coffee a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago as I, I went to the counter of this coffee place and I ordered my coffee like I always do, just black. How real men take it. But this interesting thing, this lady... She asked me this question as I ordered my coffee. She asked me this one question that I've been asked so many times and I never really thought about what that question really meant. She said to me, would you like some room? Would you like some room in your coffee? What that means is, do you want some space so you can add some creamer? And that day, for some reason, I said yes. And as she brought me this cup of coffee, she poured the creamer in, and this coffee completely it just transforms. It's no longer black. It's no longer strong and bitter. It's rich and creamy. And you say, Pastor, what's the point? Listen. This coffee will never be black again. This coffee has lost all bitterness. This coffee literally went from dark to light. And it was almost like God was telling me, you know, David, if people would make room for Jesus, if people would just make room for him, they don't know the change that it can bring to their life. They don't know how it can turn from dark to light. How they will never go back to their old ways. How they will never go back to that same bitterness. How I can bring such a transformation if people would say, yes, I'll make room for Jesus in my life. The problem with our life today is that we have that option. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, God had this opening question for all of us. Do you want room? Do you have room for Jesus in your life? But sadly, many people say, no, I'm full. I don't have room for God in my life. I don't have room for Jesus. I don't have room for church. I don't have room for Bible. I don't have room for praying. I don't have room for any of that. I got too much going on in my life. I have room for my job. I have room for my family. I have room for my hobbies. I have room for everything else. But I don't have room for God right now. And it's no wonder so many people live to be the same. They live these dark, bland empty lives, when Jesus is ready to bring such a transformation if you simply say yes to him. But see, Jesus said this rich fool had no room for God in his life. Jesus can bring such a change to your life and your destiny, but you have no room. How different would this man's life have been had he simply made room for God in his life? But so many today. We're not rich towards God. We have no room for Jesus. We, we, we get caught up in this temporary world that means nothing. We feel so accomplished and important because we're busy. Busy doesn't mean you're important. I'm sorry. But a lot of us take pride in busy. I'm busy because I have a lot going on in my life. We're building. You're building for retirement, you're building to have a beautiful home. We're living for this life that's so temporary. And like that foolish puffer fish, could it be that we're just as foolish because all we want to do is build and have pleasure and be impressive? Jesus said this man was a fool not because of his intellect. He said this man was a fool because of how he was choosing to live. Jesus told this story of this rich fool because he was preaching this sermon about hell, of all all subjects. Jesus was preaching about hell. Imagine that this actually happened. Jesus, he sits down, he addresses the crowd, And he's telling the people, you need to fear God. Because only God has the power to kill you. And only God has the power to throw you into hell. That's exactly what Jesus was preaching in this sermon. And wouldn't you know that the Bible says, this man stood up from the crowd? He called out to Jesus, and maybe at that moment, maybe in my imagination, Jesus must have thought, man, I got one. That guy is ready to surrender. That guy is making room for me. That guy is going to surrender his life to me. I know that this message got to his heart. I know he doesn't want to go to hell, and I know it without a doubt. And this man, he stands up from the crowd. He says, Jesus, and he's like, yes, and he said, I have a problem. Could you tell my brother to give me some of his inheritance? See, because my dad died, and he's the older brother, and he got everything, and I think my brother's being really selfish right now. He's not giving me a dime. Do you think that's fair? Would would you talk to him? Can you imagine how rude this guy was? to interrupt Jesus in the middle of a sermon that has to do with hell and eternity, and all this man was thinking about was money? All this man was thinking about was pleasure and his future and money? He was listening to Jesus speak just like you're listening to me speak. But his mind was on money. Because this man thought, if I had more money, I would buy this, and if I bought that, I would be happy, and if I were happy, I would have peace, and if I had peace, I might have more satisfaction. So he literally stands up from the crowd, addresses Jesus after this amazing sermon about death and hell, and says, Jesus, Fix my problem. I need more money. You know, when I read that as a preacher, I got mad. Because if one of you interrupts me during a sermon to fix your problems, I'd kick you out of this church. You imagine someone standing up, Pastor David, I'm like, yes! I have a problem with my kid. You mind talking to him after service? See, when I read this passage, I said, God, this is exactly how so many people are living. This man had no problem being in the crowd listening to a sermon. There's a lot of people in the crowd of church listening to pastors preach all over the U.S. today, this Sunday. Online, at home, in present, in the building. They have no problem with listening to Jesus or about Jesus. This man, though, reminds me of how so many of us are, though. Did you notice that just this man acknowledged Jesus only because he had a problem? Do you know how many people acknowledge Jesus only when they have a problem in their life? Do you know how many people I know are only in this church when things are bad in their life? When things are good, you're gone. But when you're in church, I go, oh, I wonder what's wrong now. This man looked at Jesus and acknowledged Jesus as a problem solver, but not a soul saver. So this man, a lot of us, we acknowledge Jesus when we're in trouble. We acknowledge Jesus when we have a problem. We acknowledge Jesus when we want to change in our circumstances. But see, this man did not need a change in his situation. He needed a change in his heart. And Jesus was there offering it, but his mind was only consumed with money. And that's why Jesus said, you remind me, of a rich fool I want to tell you about. And Jesus gives this story of this rich fool who had everything because I believe this, it's my opinion, but I believe Jesus was saying to this man, let's say I answer your request and I talk to your brother and he gives you everything he owns. Let's say I do exactly what you want me to do, and I change your brother's mind because I'm God, I can do that, and I can get him to give you the money. Let's just say you're able to buy the house, buy the nice chariot, buy that piece of property overlooking the Sea of Galilee. I know you've had your eye on that. Let's just say I answer your request, and you get everything you ever wanted Don't you realize that it wouldn't even matter because I know something you don't, you're going to die tonight. Then what? You know that if you found out, let me ask you, if you would find out today that you would die tonight, just think about Jesus himself looks at you straight in the eye and says, You're going to die tonight. You would know right now that this would be the last sermon you ever hear about Jesus. This is the last time you're going to see Pastor David. This is the last service you're going to go to at Forward. How different would your life be if you knew you were going to die tonight? I know exactly what will change. If you and I knew that we were going to die tonight, the things you're worried about now, you wouldn't even be worried about anymore. If you knew you were going to die tonight, the things that are problematic in your life wouldn't even be a problem. You know that if you found out you were going to die tonight, the things that have you distracted wouldn't even distract you anymore. All it takes is the acknowledgement of death close to you to get you to change your entire life and your perspective. But sadly, the reason that none of us think like this is because in our mindset, we're living forever. When's the last time you thought about death? When's the last time you really said to yourself, man, I'm going to die soon? When was the last time you really said to yourself, I wonder how long I have left? See, Jesus tells this man, don't you realize that while you're so distracted and caught up by money and pleasure and everything in this life, that very life you're so eager to to work on and impress is going to end tonight, it'll be over. So Jesus was telling this man, you're that rich fool. Because you're finding your value in possessions. You're finding your value in things and accomplishments. When life is so much more than that. As I read this passage I realized why this man was foolish. It's the same reason so many people today are foolish. Let me give you three quick reasons. This man was foolish. One, verse 15 and 19. I want you to see this. The Bible says, "Then he said, "Beware, guard against every kind of greed." Here it is. Jesus said, "Life is not measured." by how much you own. Notice Jesus used the word measure. Life is not measured. Jesus said the degree of success is not in what you have. But isn't it sad that this man was foolish for the same reason our world has become just as foolish? We measure success by what we have. We measure success by what we do. See, our value is placed on what we do. The value that we have towards someone is what they do. The value and worth we see in someone is what they've done. The value we see in someone is what they own. We look at what they have and what they've done and what they've accomplished and and where they live and what they wear and what they drive and we measure it and we say they're successful. Isn't that the measure we have for ourselves and where we live and what our house looks like and how nice our car is and how our 401k is and we're so impressive that we're measured and say, well, I'm successful. Why are you successful? Well, clearly, look at the degrees I have in my wall. Look at the places I've vacationed. Look at the house that I live in. Look at the neighborhood I belong to. Notice everything I own. Clearly, I'm successful. And God will say, no, you're not. We measure someone's worth by their net worth. How stupid are we to think that your worth isn't what you have? It's crazy because we call it a net worth. And last time I checked, a net was a device used to entangle and trap. Could it be that our society is entangled in themselves and trapped by this lie of the enemy that if you don't have and you don't own and you don't wear and you haven't accomplished, you are not successful? And we compare ourselves to others and we measure and measure and measure and based on what they've done, we say, wow, that that person's important. I think the stupidest question you can ask someone when you meet them is what do you do? (laughs) Why do you want to know? Is it going to change how you view me? I do a lot of things. But see, what you're saying is, what you're really worth is what you do as a career. And we compare ourselves and we say, this person has a net worth of this much and a net worth of that much. And so this person is more important than that person. This person is better than that person. And we belittle people because they don't own, they don't have, they don't possess, they make less. And we just kind of devalue someone because of their social or economic background. And we're all trapped in this lie, this net worth that's a trap from the enemy. We're like that puffer fish. Working and working to build our worth when our worth is found in being rich towards God. The real value in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me, let me illustrate this for you, because I want to tell you how dumb our world is today. Especially our, our, in our country, let me tell you. I love our country, God bless it. But we are foolish. Because in this world, I have $5 and $1 here. Clearly, you would say this one is worth more than the one. And I have this penny. You might get excited because you can get, I guess, a foot-long sub at Subway with this, maybe. Maybe you can go to Dollar Tree, get some amazing old hard candy with this one. But what are you going to do with a penny? And when you look at the five and the one and the one cent, you're going to say clearly the five is more valuable than the one, and the one is more valuable than the penny. You see what you just did there? You determine value by worth. But don't you understand that all it takes is me burning this money? Oh, it's illegal. Listen, some of you are more offended by this than people going to hell that you say you love. So don't get mad at me. Don't write me an email. Let me ask you a question What's it worth now? What about this penny? Here's a psychological thing. What's worth more now? You know that this is why God created hell? Because hell is a place where everyone is equally worthless. Hell is a place where no one is better than another, like they are on earth. So when you die and the Bible says that Jesus throws your soul into hell, it's not going to matter where you lived, what you own, what you did, what degree you have. It's not going to matter that you were better than this person because in eternity, in hell, without God, everyone is equally nothing. But you know who's going to be worth more? This little guy. That's why Jesus looks at this woman who gave a mite, which is the equivalence of a penny, and says she has a real relationship with God. You may think that your relationship with God means nothing right now. And ever since I've been serving Jesus, I don't make enough money. And I could be making more money. I could be doing this. But let me tell you, if you die with Jesus Christ, you're going to look at your penny little life and say, man, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. But everyone else who on earth said they have more and they're more valuable and they've done this and they've done that. When you die without Jesus in the presence of hell, there is no one going to be comparing themselves to anyone else. All have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glory. All people that die without Jesus are equal in their worthlessness. Next week, we'll talk about exactly the degrees of hell. But see, this man was foolish because he measured success by what he did, what he had. The second reason this man was foolish was because he said in verse 19, he said, I'll sit back I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and this one bothered me a lot. Be merry, which in the Greek means happy. You know why this man was foolish? Because the answer of life was him being happy. Aren't you that foolish too? How dumb do we become when everything we want is being happy? Everything we work towards is so I can be happy. Notice that the Bible said this man, he tore down, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. You know what's interesting about this, what Jesus was saying? In that culture, if you even had a barn, you were considered well off. But notice that this man had a barn, but it wasn't good enough. He wanted something bigger, because Jesus was telling us, if your pursuit is happiness, it will never be enough. If all you think about is me being happy, you're going to get your little barn and realize, wow, I want another barn now. This is why in our society we're working and working and working because we want to upgrade, we want to get bigger and better and nicer and once we reach one milestone, we say it's not enough, I got to reach another milestone. Once we climb that corporate ladder of success, we look down and say, no, I think I can go higher. It's never enough when you're pursued as happiness. So we work And we tear down, and we build better, and we build bigger, and we advance, and we upgrade. And why? Because we are telling ourselves, I need to be happy. It's never enough. I need more. So in this pressure to pursue happiness... People are just doing the wildest things. This is why so many people are divorcing and getting remarried, only to find out, oh, I need to upgrade again. I'm not happy anymore. We're going to different jobs. We're moving to different houses, switching neighborhoods, switching everything. I need a new car. I need this now. I need that now. Why? Because it's not making me happy. And here's the news flash: It won't. Our society is just filled with people saying, I need to be happy. You don't know how many people sit with me in counseling and say, Pastor, I'm not happy. And I said, Neither am I. Why do we have to be happy? When Jesus said, I've come to give you joy. See, happiness is external. And it's based on the outward circumstances of your life. And since the outward circumstances in your life are always changing, so will your happiness. But joy is an inward choice, in spite of your outward circumstance. Jesus said, I came to give you joy. He didn't come to give you happiness. See, when this man stood up from the crowd, he said, Lord, I need to be happy. Make me happy. I need more money. Please fix this problem so I can be happy. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're so foolish. Is happiness all you're looking for? Because maybe you'll reach it, you'll be happy for a moment, and like that puffer fish, the tide changes and you're back to square one again. I'm unhappy. I've met some of the wealthiest people, and they're unhappy. People that have everything, and they're unhappy. And I've worked with some of the poorest people who have no homes, live out in the street, and they have a joy in them that's unspeakable. Why? Because you made a choice to say, my happiness is not going to come from this world, but through Jesus Christ who brings joy to my life. That's it. This man was foolish because his value was on things. This man was foolish because his pursuit was happiness. This man was foolish because in verse 19 and 20, saddest thing ever, and we'll close with this one. He said, I'll sit back. I'll say to myself, because that was his ultimate goal, to talk to himself and say, wow, you're so good. You're so awesome. My friend, notice he's talking to himself because he has no friends, but that's a whole other thing. But it's true, he's alone, isn't he? This man had everything but had no one to talk to. Because you think that money is going to make you the happiest. It's going to make you miserable and lonely. I'll sit back. I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough. Store it away for years to come. Now let's take it easy. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's be happy. And God said to him, you You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? Because you're taking none of it with you when you die. Only your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Aren't we that foolish to think we have more time? James chapter 4, 13, Paul says to this church, he says, when it comes to life, look here. You who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we're going to stay there for a year. We will do business there and we'll make profit. Notice this question. How do you know? what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. You know that all of us here, we're here for a little while. And in this little lifespan we have, all we seem to do is think we have the entire life ahead of us. One of the worst things you can ever tell a young child is you have your whole life ahead of you. You're lying to him. You better tell that child, you can die today. But see, we live our lives planning. Next year, 10 years, retirement, 5-year plan, 10-year plan, this time next month. And God says, how do you know? This man, this rich fool was planning many years to come, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to be happy, I'm finally going to rest after all my hard work. And God said, you're dying tonight. And everything you worked for, nothing. We talk like this man. We talk as though Tomorrow is promised. That's why being a pastor is one of the most fascinating jobs you'll ever have, because you get to see so many people die. And I've sat in bed, in hospital beds, with I remember a kid, eight years old, filled with cancer. He requested a pastor. I don't know how I got that gig, but I did. I went to that child's hospital. I sat on that bed with him, and all he had questioned was about eternity. Eight years old, wanted to know whether he was going to heaven or hell, a kid. And I talked to him for over two hours, and I'll never forget what this little kid said. He said, "Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready." Hey, do you do you have that confidence to say if God will say this time tonight, you're going to die and you're going to say, I'm ready? Are you ready? Because I also remember a really good friend of mine. His name was Angel. I've known him since elementary school. We've grown up together. We were in college together. We took every class together. We were a good friend. And he was my workout partner. And I'll never forget, it was a Thursday night, it was raining, and we were at the gym at 9 o'clock at night. We were working out, we were doing chest and triceps. And he was talking to me, we were, I don't even know what we were talking about, but I'll never forget as he left, the last thing he told me was, hey Dave, I'll see you tomorrow. And that same night, 30 minutes later, a car ran a stop sign and killed him instantly. Like that, you're gone. And every day I drive through West Fourth Avenue, and there's a little sign there in his honor, his memory. And every day that's a reminder as I go down that road that tomorrow is not promised. So, David, you got to keep preaching. If you knew that God would say, today you're dying, would you have the confidence through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ to say, I'm ready because He made me ready. He died on the cross for my sins. So that when I die and I'm in the presence of God, I am perfect in His eyes through Jesus Christ. Because one day on earth, I made room for Jesus and I asked him to forgive me of my sins and asked him to come into my heart, into my life and he changed me forever. Or will you say, I never have room? Which one will you be? The light or the darkness? The one that made room for Jesus or the one that says, I can't? Because eventually, Or time runs out. And Jesus asked this powerful question in Matthew 16, 26. And I'm sure it would be the question he would ask this rich fool if he ever truly existed. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth, notice that word, worth? Is anything worth more than your soul? What's worth more than your soul? Nothing. So why aren't you securing it? The Bible says in Hebrews, we have this anchor for our soul, Jesus Christ. And an anchor, when I throw my anchor over the boat, I have confidence that it's holding me and securing me. You see, what the Bible is saying is you have security of your eternal life only through Jesus Christ. That's it. So as I preach this, you could be like this rich fool, and right now your mind is thinking about other things other problems. But you know what's fascinating about being a pastor too? The only career that has this. But in hell, and I'll prove it next week, but I'm going to give you a little appetizer. In hell, you will remember every opportunity you had to receive Jesus Christ, but didn't. That means that in hell, people will be thinking of me. People will be thinking about the sermon Pastor David preached. One day, if you die without Jesus, you're going to remember this. And you're going to say, man, that pastor, that good-looking pastor was there. And he was preaching this time, and he was telling me to make room for Jesus. And I remember that Sunday, and I remember I was thinking about lunch. And I was thinking about laundry. And I was thinking about work tomorrow. And now I'm faced with all of eternity in hell. Was it worth it? That's what Jesus is saying. Is it worth losing your soul for this world? With every head bowed and every eye closed today. No one's looking around. You're listening online. I want you to stop what you're doing if you're driving, pull over right now. Because this is your soul we're talking about. And the thing that you need to know without a doubt is that you are secured eternally in Jesus Christ. That you have made room for Jesus. That you have been transformed by his blood. That you have gone from dark to light. If you're not sure, what are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And he's ready to come in if you make room for him in your life. He died on that cross for your sins and for mine. That he, whoever believes in him, will have eternal life. So don't Wager with your soul. Be sure this morning, without a doubt. So I'm going to ask you an interesting question. If you are sure, without a doubt, that you are going to die tonight and be in the presence with Jesus in heaven, I want you to show me your hands. God bless you. Show me your hands. You can put your hands down because I know it is something scary. Some of you couldn't put your hand up. And there's no judgment in that. I applaud you right now because you're being honest with yourself. You're saying, Pastor David, I don't know. My question then to you is, what are you waiting for? Don't tell God, oh, I'm too bad and I've wasted my life on sin. We all have. Right now... God cannot possibly love you any more than He does right now at your worst. And He is ready to come in if you say, Pastor, I want to make room for Jesus Christ in my life and be saved and be forgiven of my sin. If that's you today and you want to have that security, would you put your hand up so I can see you there today? God bless you. See your hand God bless you there. God bless you. I see you there. I see you back there. I see you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you there too. I want you to pray this with me today. If this is you today, you're listening online, and in your heart, you're raising your hand too. You're saying, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ in my life. You pray this with me from your heart now. Say, Lord Jesus, I have room for you right now. Forgive me of my sins. As I surrender my life and soul to you, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And today, I want my soul secured in you. I surrender. Father, thank you for those today here listening online that have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Father, as they experience the power of your salvation, may you give them the strength to walk this life securely, knowing that when time is up, their soul is secured in you. Father, I pray for every saved person in this church that has no fear to continue to preach the gospel to loved ones. For those who get more bothered by the burning of a $5 bill than the burning of their loved ones. Give us a heart of evangelism to keep inviting to church to keep preaching the gospel as time is running out. And Jesus, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through you on that cross. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God some praise today. Amen. Amen. Amen.